Hello, everyone. It's Eves checking in here to let you know that you're going to be hearing two different events in history in this episode, one from me and one from Tracy V. Wilson. They're both good, if I do say so myself. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson, and it's January 1st. Happy New Year. Lorenzo de' Medici was born on this day in 1449. The Medici family of Florence was rich and powerful. They had come to Florence sometime in the 12th century, although they had started out as just simple Tuscan peasants. But over a couple hundred years, they became incredibly wealthy and powerful. By the middle of the 14th century, they were one of Florence's leading families. And they also had a reputation for being extremely adept at negotiating in the worlds of both politics and money. And this was through legitimate means as well as through things like bribery. Lorenzo de' Medici was described as the most Medici of the Medici. He was nicknamed Lorenzo the Magnificent. He's been described as the most powerful, the most famous, the most brilliant, the most influential in the world of art thanks to his patronage, and the most ruthless. He came to power in Florence along with his brother in 1469 after the death of their father, and the two of them were ruling together. And nine years later, there was a conspiracy to assassinate both of them and to take control of the Republic of Florence away from the Medici. This was called the Pazzi Conspiracy. The Pazzi and the Medici were basically rival families within Florence. One of the things that had led to this whole rivalry in the conspiracy was that the Pazzi family had taken over the financial affairs of the papacy, and that was taking business away from the Medici, which the Medici did not appreciate. The ringleader in this conspiracy was Francesco de Pazzi, and he wasn't the patriarch of the Pazzi family, but he was the one that was driving all of this. The assassination was finally set to take place during Easter Mass in 1478, and Lorenzo's brother, Giuliano, was killed, but Lorenzo escaped. Afterward, though, Lorenzo sought retribution against all of his conspirators. There was a lot of hanging people, a lot of throwing them out windows, a lot of dismemberments. Overall, it was very gruesome, and there were more than 70 executions of purported co-conspirators. This whole incident, though, really shaped Lorenzo's future. It meant that his brother was dead, so he was on his own in terms of his leadership at the Republic, and it had also gotten rid of a lot of their detractors, and it demonstrated the links that he would go to. So after this whole conspiracy and the war that followed, um, he really had the support of a lot of the people of Florence. He ruled almost as a monarch, although Lorenzo really liked to describe himself as just a highly respectable citizen, not anything special. He and others in the family also acted as patrons to writers and artists and architects, including people like Botticelli and Leonardo da Vinci, among many others. There was also, of course, Michelangelo, who was brought up partially in the Medici household. Lorenzo de Medici was also a collector of antiquities and of artwork, 
Basically, what they were doing, they couldn't really afford to pay for the most extravagant, biggest-name artwork, so they would find lesser-known, undiscovered talent and sort of cultivate them by their work for cheap. It's not, however, totally accurate to say that the Medici family single-handedly paid for the Renaissance. Sometimes they are described that way. Lorenzo was also a poet himself, in addition to his patronage of other artists. By the 1490s, though, Lorenzo's health was declining. The city of Florence was also becoming less and less enamored with the lifestyle that he had enabled and encouraged. This was a lifestyle that was just full of lavish festivals and extravagance. He died at the age of only 43. His son Giovanni later became Pope Leo X. You can learn more about this in the Stuff You Missed in History Class episode, Death at the Duomo, the Pazzi Conspiracy, from March 31st, 2010. Thanks to Casey Pegram and Chandler Mays for their audio work on this show. You can subscribe to this day in history class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a discovery, kind of. Hey, y'all. Happy New Year. I'm still at home, but I am excited to bring you the first episode of A New Decade. Enjoy. The day was January 1st, 1818. Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was first published. At a young age, Mary had taken an interest in writing stories, but her childhood and early adult years were tumultuous. Less than two weeks after she was born, her mother, writer and women's rights advocate Mary Wollstonecraft, died of puerperal fever. When Mary was 16 years old, she eloped with the wealthy writer Percy Bysshe Shelley, who abandoned his wife. She gave birth to four children, but only one survived to adulthood, and she miscarried during her fifth pregnancy. In 1816, Mary's sister, Fanny Goodwin, as well as Percy's wife, Harriet Shelley, died by suicide. Mary was inspired to write Frankenstein on a rainy June night in 1816. 1816 is known as the year without a summer, since it was marked by low temperatures, high rainfall, and crop failures around the world attributed to the eruption of Mount Tambora in the Dutch East Indies. History of a Six Weeks Tour, a travel narrative by Mary and Percy, published in 1817, contains letters written during their time in Geneva during that summer. In the letters, Mary writes about the dark and rainy weather. Her journey through France and Switzerland provided the perfect setting for writing a Gothic story. Mary was in Lake Geneva, Switzerland with Percy, as well as poet Lord Byron and physician and writer John Polidori. The group was reading a French translation of a German book of ghost stories called Phantasmagoriana at the Villa Diodati, the house where they would have spirited late-night discussions. When Byron suggested they see who could write the best ghost story, they took on the challenge. Polidori ended up writing The Vampire, which was published three years later. But the competition also marked the birth of Frankenstein. One night, after one of the group's philosophical discussions, Mary could not sleep. She later wrote about the restless night. She said, quote, I saw the pale student of the unhallowed arts kneeling beside the thing he had put together. 
I saw the hideous phantasm of a man stretched out and then on the working of some powerful engine show signs of life and stir with an uneasy, half-vital motion. Frightful must it be, for supremely frightful would be the effect of any human endeavor to mock the stupendous mechanism of the creator of the world. It was the origin of her story, one about a scientist named Victor Frankenstein who created an eight-foot-tall creature made of the body parts of dead people. Percy encouraged Mary to turn the story into a novel, and she finished writing the book by May of 1817. Frankenstein, or The Modern Prometheus, was first published anonymously in London as a three-volume novel on January 1st, 1818. The book is a combination of a gothic horror story and science fiction. In it, Frankenstein's nameless monster turns into a murderer who is tortured by loneliness and rejection. The first edition of the novel contained a preface written by Percy Shelley. In fact, when it was published, many people thought that Percy Shelley had written it. Another edition of the novel, credited to Mary Shelley and edited by her father, was published several years later. In 1831, the first one-volume edition of the book was published. Shelley wrote several more novels, but Frankenstein is her best-known book. Frankenstein has since become the inspiration for stories about morality, human hubris, and scientists and the implications of their creations. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Feel free to shoot us an email at thisday at iheartmedia.com, or if you prefer social media, hit us up on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter at T-D-I-H-C podcast. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.